Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Podcast. We hope that today's message will inspire you to grow in your journey of faith. We believe that hope is for everyone. So, no matter where you find yourself on your journey of faith, we believe Jesus is willing to meet you right where you're at. So again, thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Church, I am so glad that you're with us today. Uh, my name is Sophia Nunez, and my husband and I get to be the lead pastors here at Legacy, and there is no greater honor for either of us, and I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to speak this morning. I get to open up chapter three of the book of James, and James is one of my very favorite books of the Bible, which sometimes sounds a little bit odd because there's a lot of, there's a lot of correction in James, and there's a lot of... Um, harsh topics, but I really like it when someone can give it to me straight. And so I think that's my favorite thing about Pastor James. See, he he was a pastor. This was his flock that he was writing to. He's got the heart of a pastor and he cares so much. And you can really tell as you you read his letter to his church uh, that he loves them and he wants what's best for them. And sometimes when you want what's best for someone, you've got to tell them something that's hard to hear. And I love that about the way James is not afraid to just give it to him straight. There's some name calling in there. (laughs) That's next week when Pastor Tony gets to uh, speak on uh, James 4. Thankfully, I got James 3. Uh, (laughs) But I am just really excited about it. And last week, we got to hear from Lane. That was an incredible word. Very timely. Very, very important. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, I do really encourage you. Go back and stream it online. Check it out and uh, you will be blessed for sure. And he got to cover this topic about faith and works and how the way Pastor James so eloquently put it, that faith without works is dead. (laughs) Kind of rude. (laughs) But it's so true, it's so true. If you don't have anything to back your faith, then your faith is actually dead. And today in chapter three, I get the job of reading the message that says something like, faith without words is weak. So we went from faith without deeds is dead, and I want to talk today from a different perspective. Faith without words is weak. So we're going to look at our Bibles together. If you don't have a paper Bible, we want to give you one. Everyone needs to have a real life Bible that they can touch. So if you don't have one, tell us. We want, you need to have one. You get one. And if you have one today, I want you to open it if you've got it. If not, we're going to look up at the screen, and we're going to read this together. We. Pastor Tony read the entire first chapter on a Sunday morning. Lane read the entire second chapter on a Sunday morning. I get to read the entire third chapter, except mine's the shortest, so uh, it's gonna be great. So it goes like this. Let's turn to it together. James chapter three, starting from the top. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of our life, and set on fire by hell. 
For every kind of beast and bird, a reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Yes. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is what guides us. It is what teaches us who you are and what your ways are. We thank you that it is not just a story, but it is alive, it is filled and drenched with your spirit and what you have for us. So we ask today that as we open your word, that you would illuminate what you would like us to know today. And that anything that would come from me that is not inspired by your spirit or your word, would you remove it and replace it with whatever you have for your bride, your church this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, church, so James is very direct, as you can tell. We just read some pretty harsh things, pretty intense and um, some people absolutely cannot stand reading the book of James because it feels very confrontational. Some people absolutely love it. And wherever you fall on this spectrum, we are all going to glean a lot of good truth from this chapter today. And I have a few points in this sermon, and I'm playing by the rules today. I'm going to give you exactly three points. Exactly three points. And I'm going to be on time. Our words have power. I'm making a declaration right now. And we're going to just really, really trust the Lord for it. So there's three things I want us to know that, that, uh, that are really important. And they're going to form kind of what are the structure is of our thinking when it comes to what we say, when we say it, and the power of our words. But I want, I know that we already talked about how faith needs to have works behind it. But I also really want to break out how important it is that faith has words to go with it. Because our faith is really weak when our words don't line up with our faith. And I also would venture to say that our faith is really fragile when we don't have the words to back our faith, to make these declarations, to say what is true. When we don't say what is true, our faith is very fragile and it's very easy to lose it and have the rug pulled out from under us when what we say doesn't line up with who God is and what he wants us to be saying in our daily lives. And I think that uh, if, you if you tell me that you have faith, but nothing ever would come out of your mouth that would line up with that, it would cause me to, to question and wonder. And I, I think we all would do the same thing. Someone can say that, I'm a huge sports fan. I watch sports 24-7. I don't ever miss a game. And then you like know them and you spend time together, but never in their life do they ever mention sports. And it's kind of weird because you're like, wait, what is it? Do you like sports or do you not like sports? It doesn't make an appearance in their daily lives. It never crosses their lips other than when they say out loud randomly, I'm a huge so-and-so fan. Oh, wouldn't have known. And I think the same thing can happen with our words many, many times. So when, and I think also at the same time, if we look at our lives, 
If there's an area of our lives that's kind of out of control, that it, maybe it's out of order, it's not healthy, it's not flourishing well, I think if you stop and take inventory, we'll soon realize that our words in that area are also very out of control. What we say about that area is out of control. If you've got an area in your life like lust, hate, greed, pride, unforgiveness, almost always you can trace that back to what you've said about that topic, about that situation. Like if, if, you've got, if you're struggling with, if, if unforgiveness is an out of order area in your life, if you're just not someone who's willing or able to forgive, usually that'll creep up in your words when you least expect it. You're just hanging out, you're spending time with friends or family, and someone says, well, we should invite so-and-so, that would be fun. No, not, not after what they did. Oh, okay. It, your words make an appearance, usually when you least expect it, and it's about an area of your life that is out of order, that isn't in the way God designed it to be. And I wanna look at that. I wanna look at that because I really am pretty confident and I think that the word of God backs it up, that if you change your words, you can change your life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I want, to, that's what I titled this message, you change your words, change your life. Yeah. And it sounds overly simplistic that way, but I really think that it just might be that simple. Change our words, change our life. So there's three things I wanna talk about. The first thing is a little bit of theology, which theology sounds like a big word, but it really is just the study of God. What does God say about something? Who is he about such and such things? So I'm going to talk about theology of words. And my first point is words matter to God. Yes. Words matter to God. And this appears all throughout scripture. And I, this is why I want, we, it's so important that we're all in reading the word often, consistently. When you begin to see patterns all throughout scripture, about the way God uses words very intentionally, very strategically, and consistently, you be able to, you're able to say, whoa, hmm, words really matter to God. And he's made it really clear to us. And I want us to kind of focus on a, a way that I can prove this most effectively, I think would just be, you know when at the very beginning of, of the gospel story, when God says the word became flesh, and what that means is Jesus came down to earth the word became flesh the word the person of jesus a word that's fascinating why didn't god say something else why didn't god say the god of gods became human he didn't he said the word became flesh what was spoken came to be of a verb something that god spoke took place right before our eyes. The word became flesh. And I, I love in Psalm 138 too, it's a, he says, you've exalted above all things your word and your name. It's just incredible to me that his word makes an appearance in that. Why is it so important to God that he says your word is, is, is above all? Above, he even says above his own name. The things that God says and if we keep reading, you see, oh, what God says is his name. He is what he says. God is who he says he is. And he cannot lie. So if we know, like, the reason his name is so powerful, it's because his word is trustworthy. You hear, you hear a name of somebody, a politician or a celebrity, you're like, okay, that's somebody. But their fame is for something else. 
But the fame of God is that he is trustworthy. He is who he says he is. He's never failed. He's across all generations, all time, all cultures, all races, all like. It is mind-boggling the fame of this man. His word really matters. And if he weren't trustworthy, his word wouldn't carry weight. But it does carry weight. It carries a lot of weight. And what he says matters. So in, and in Hebrews 11.3, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Why didn't they say the universe was created by the power of God? He didn't say the universe was created by the strength of God, the might of God. There could have been any word, and God could have created the universe any way that he wanted. But he saw it fit to say, let there be light. And then there was light. And then he said, that's good. I think it's incredible. The way God models for us, even if you look to the beginning of time, the way God modeled for us, because we get to copy that. We get to do that. We get to say something, and then we get to see it come to pass, and then we get to say, it is good. It is yeah. good. Yeah. Well, imagine if you were to sit across the dinner table and you look across to your spouse, and you say, I am so grateful God gave me you. He did a good thing. You are precious to me. What would happen if you, if you look into your child's face, or any child, and you get down their face, you say, God did an amazing thing with you. Yeah. You're a good addition to this world. Yeah, you are good. And I am so grateful for you. Yeah. Imagine the impact that one slight shift of your words could have. And I thank God that he modeled that for us right off the bat. Yes. And no, we do not have the same creative power that God has. We cannot speak out of nothing a universe. Right. That would be terrifying, absolute nightmare. Can you imagine if all of our universes collided and your universe really doesn't match with mine? And, oh, it's a disaster. The creative power plus our sinful nature, ugh, I think that's terrifying. So I'm grateful that we get to copy elements of his creativity without having the power to create out of nothing with just one word. He's very sovereign and he's very smart. Thank you, Lord. He, we get to do this, we get to copy him, we, he, we emulate our lives after what he does. And he's so intentional. From the beginning of time, he said, I said, let there be light. So there was light. And then I said, it's good. And he said that about you too. When he created humans, he said, it's good. Except for when he made man, he said it was almost good. That's the only time ever that God did not say, perfect. There was a missing piece, and we are very important. So, he created a woman, and now it's good. Now it's really good. Can I get an amen? Come on, church. It is not good for man to be alone. Yeah, he finished the work, and it's really good. Extra good. So, words matter to God. Words really matter to God. Everything that you see was created by what God said. Okay? Everything that you see was created by a word. And we have a little bit to own there because I think that a lot of us right now are seeing what we said. I think that in our lives, we're seeing the effects of some things that we've said. For better or for worse. Be 
Because when we least expect it, we realize, oh, I didn't mean to say it like that. And now look what it's done. Whoa. What we do and what we say, it gives fruit. It does. Just as James said, everything has a fruit. A fig tree has a fruit called fig. An olive tree has a fruit called olives. Our words have fruit also. They show up in our lives. They show up in our community's lives. They show up in our spouse's lives. They show up in our children's lives. And our words are not to be taken lightly. They're not. Our words matter to God. And he's made that clear. Sometimes our words are limiting us. Our very words are limiting what we do in our lives. Like we maybe have said, oh, I like God, but I just don't like his people. I'm just like not into church and I'm just not a church person. I don't like organized religion. I don't like it. And we've said that and we've accidentally like built or talked ourselves into like a mini prison because God does come after our heart because he wants us fully. And then he he begins to break down those walls and we realize, oh, actually, I I really love the church. I love people. I love God's bride. I love his design, but ooh, what do I do now? I've already said that I'm against it, and all my friends know that I don't like it. And then we have this temptation of pride that we can't just say, ooh, I was wrong on that one. Our words are so important. They're so important. And I, I love that in James 3, in 3.3, 3, it says this. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet boasts of great things. Did you know the ratio, rudder to ship ratio, one to 70? One seventieth of the ship is what is dictating where it's going. One seventieth. That is nothing. It's nothing. I don't know if you've ever, when's the last time you saw a horse? But those things are big. Those are big creatures. And you look at the size of the bit that's in their mouth. It's, it's this big. It's this big. Our daughter rides horses. She's a barrel racer. And... It is astounding and incredible the way an entire animal can dart all the way to the end of a stadium, clear three barrels without touching them because of a piece of metal this big. I mean, we've got keychains bigger than this just hanging out in our purses. And these animals, these huge beasts, are able to obey the will of a 12-year-old girl. And the difference that one little pull on those reins can make it or break it. Either that horse goes straight into the barrel, you canceled, you're out, no points, or you nail it and you barely clear the barrel at top speed and you angle that turn perfectly on time and then you get first place. Because of something this small, your words are not no big deal. Your words are a big deal. The rudder is not a no big deal. The rudder is a big deal. If the rudder breaks, the ship doesn't go where it's supposed to go. 
You get on a horse with just a saddle and some reins, but no bit. Guess who's deciding where you're going? Not you. The horse. We lose, you, you lose control of where something is going the moment the, the rudder, your words, get off course. Your words affect so much. And that doesn't mean that I'm going to deny, that I'm asking you to deny those strong winds that are out there coming against your ship. Those strong winds are strong. You've got strong winds in your life trying to sink your ship, trying to take you out. You made financial trouble. You've got an addiction that you're battling against. Your marriage is falling apart. Your kids don't want to talk to you. You've got strong winds in your life, disease, anything. Those winds, they're legitimate. And I'm not asking you to say, no, there's no winds. I'm fine. We're good. There's no winds. My words have power. There are no winds. That is not what the word of God is asking us to do. God doesn't ask us to be dishonest with ourselves and with each other about what wins we're facing. We can say, I'm really struggling. I'm in a lot of pain because of something. I'm hurting or I'm scared. But what's, what's powerful here is that though those wins are coming out strong, those wins don't have the final say. The wins don't have the final say. The final say is what God says and what you get to say that lines up with what God says. That's the final say. So you may have maybe a dysfunctional family. You're coming up against racism, name it, whatever it is. Your strong winds are legitimate. It's okay to talk about it. It's healthy to talk about it. But then you get to have the final say because your tongue and the words that you declare, the words that you speak are able to change the course. Because what if... And we all know this, we all have a person in our lives, when I'm not throwing shade, okay, but I'm saying, we've all got, we know someone who is the tired friend. Where every time you say, how's it going? And they say, tired. And do you ever just sometimes, after you go home, you're like, I wonder, do they need a bed? Are they okay? What's wrong? Why are they tired? What's, are they, oh, they're having to work two jobs. They're working nights. Do they do, can we help pay your bills? You accidentally sometimes become what you just casually say. Wow. Oh, I'm tired. Are you? Are you? Or like, are you sleeping through the night? You're working 40, 50, 60 hour job. That's hard, but it's good. And that's biblical too. And you rest at night but you've accidentally talked yourself into this, I'm the tired friend. And you enter everywhere you go, I'm tired. What if instead of labeling yourself that, you said, you know, I'm, I'm good. What if you stop for just a moment before you go into your default, I'm tired. Good, good. I'm working hard, having dinner with my family putting the kids to bed, getting good sleep. Like, what if what's actually true began to come out of your mouth? And what would that mean about who you are? Are you anxious? Do you have anxiety? Or are you feeling anxious about something? Wow. Yeah. Are you depressed? It's who you are. Or can you say, I'm really sad about something. Something is really knocked the wind out of me and it's hurting bad. Would you pray for me? I wonder what would happen 
instead of just saying, I am this, I am this, I am this, if instead we described what's going on, but then we declared something that's true about God and who he is and what, how we get to claim that for ourselves, what that would mean for us as individuals. And in every, every arena of our lives, if you became known as the person who is real, normal, has ups and downs, but at the end of it all, you're the person who is encouraging and who trusts God and who believes what is true about God. Imagine the impact that could have on our world. Instead of the, what the Christians, what we've accidentally done, is that we've told the world that we're good, we're fine, busy, blessed, we're good, favored. And these people in the world are like, I don't think I could ever be one of you. Like I have actual pain. I, I can't pay my bills. My husband's leaving me. They, they have looked at, at the Christian church at large for so many years and have said, I, I don't think I could ever be in with you. How tragic. Yeah. Because of what we've said. So what if instead we start saying something different? And what if because we the church begin to say something different, everyone else who's on the outside, which breaks God's heart and breaks ours as well, what if all of those people receive the message that, oh, there's a place for you, because we're all the same. We're all the same. What if we get to be the generation that changes what the, the people at large say about the Christian church? What if, church, there's, there's this reel going around, which I know that that makes me sound old, because someone told me that now that they're reels, it's because it used to be a TikTok, and like, I don't have TikTok, and I'm old, I guess, but I, I didn't know that, but reels are old, but now it was in my inbox, and I keep seeing the same theme coming across reels, and there's this audio, and I don't know who sings it or where it comes from, I don't know, but here's, it, it reflects an attitude and a very common position that's going on in the world right now, and the audio just says, I said what I said. And I think it's interesting. Every time I see that reel, it's over a video of somebody who's like maybe regretting what they said, but they're like, well, I said what I said. I'm like, hold on. Well, if you said what you said, well, why don't you just go back and say something different? Why are we so married to, I said what I said? That sounds like pride to me. That sounds like pride that, well, I said what I said. Okay, well, you were wrong. Like, is that the end of the world to be wrong? Like, are we so far removed from being human and being comfortable with saying, I got that wrong. I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? I know that I said that. Shouldn't have said it. I'm sorry. The, that sounds like the most absurd, revolutionary, weird behavior that if you, like if we were to just start putting that on Instagram instead, you know the relief that this world would feel? Oh, so I don't have to like dig in my heels every time I say something. What if I'm not sure if I'm right or not? It doesn't matter, dig in your heels, you said it. You're right. Whatever you say in that moment, that's what's true. It's your truth, say it, loud and proud. Well, well unless you're wrong, then you really like don't say it. 
But then if you did say it, say sorry. Undo it. Just go back and correct. What would happen if we, when we wrong our children by what we say, which we do, what would happen if instead of, well, I'm your, I'm your mom, you have to respect me and I say what I say. What if instead of that, when we know good and well we're wrong, if we say, oof, I shouldn't have said that. I lost my temper. Will you please forgive me? I'm going to work on that. You know what that would do for a child to know my mom, my dad, my aunt, my uncle, my grandparent, they're a human being like me and they make mistakes. Because if we can show the next generation that it's okay to make mistakes and then bounce back because we're forgiven, that means when they inevitably walk into sin or error or bad decisions, they can know because we already showed them, that's okay, you're forgiven. There's mercy and grace for you too, just like there was for me. It's for all of us. And for too long, we've, we've removed ourselves from the humility of saying, I was wrong. And beyond that, I think it is such an incredibly creative ploy of the enemy to have convinced the Protestant church that we don't need to repent anymore. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It, like, that is a mind-blowing moment that like, okay, whoa. It's not just, well, there's grace, there's grace, there's grace, there's grace. Yeah, but like, I, I was wrong. And the enemy has convinced Christians that, oh, well, you're already forgiven. Yeah, but we have the incredible gift incredible privilege of going to Christ Jesus and saying, please pardon me. Please forgive me. I was wrong. And we also have the assurance to know that his answer to that is yes, of course. Yes, of course you're forgiven. Jesus paid it all. But that doesn't mean that we get to prop ourselves up on our performance and our skills and I would never mess up. Yes, you would. Yes, you do. Yes, we do. And we're going to do it again. We need to stop lying to ourselves lying to the world, lying to our children, lying to brothers and sisters, that all it does is isolate us from each other and from the truths of God. The truth is, we do mess up. We say what we shouldn't say, or we leave unsaid what really should be said. And we have an incredible gift of being able to repent and saying, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? And you know how much easier that is than having to continue in the narrative that that you're right, that's a lot of work. That's exhausting. Because usually you know pretty quick after it comes out of your mouth that you were wrong. Like, we are the perfect example of what James says, that the tongue can just light a forest fire. You ever done that? Where you're like, you say something in passing, and you're like, ah, come back. But it like landed on fresh kindling, like bone dry, like, oh no. And then it just takes off and you cannot get your words back and it's just terrifying. Oh man, there's gonna be a lot of cleanup. But we gotta clean up. James didn't say, oh, it's no big deal. He said, we gotta stop lighting stuff on fire. And when you do, you gotta use your tongue instead as a fire extinguisher and say something else. You gotta say something else. We can't just leave it at, oh, I lit that on fire, bummer. Okay, well, let's put out the fire and let's bind up some wounds because we all have, you know, what, you know what I mean when I say we've all got a word wound? You ever been wounded deeply by the words of somebody? Sometimes a single word 
from somebody can cut to your heart. Painful, undeniable pain that can be said to you, hurt you terribly. We've all got word wounds. And we, it, we're also those who sometimes afflict word wounds. But if our wounds remain as wounds and not as scars, they're susceptible to infection. They're susceptible to bleeding out. They're susceptible to being just barely healed. But then if somebody triggers you or says something that reminds you of the word wound, they get bled on. And that is unfair. That somebody else should have to get bled on because of some, a wound that somebody inflicted on you. Yeah. Because we need to understand that we have a responsibility to seek out those word wounds and to heal them. Right. Not by ourselves, but by the Lord and His Holy Spirit. The way He can come and with one word of His, one word can completely bind up our wounds. Yeah. And I'm not denying that sometimes that's a process. Sometimes it does require, we're, we get professional counseling. We get therapy to, to heal from some trauma. I'm not denying that that's important many times. But when we allow God to speak a word over a wound that we carry, somehow that healing takes place in the most precious and accelerated, beautifully tender way. Then now it becomes a scar. And scars do something totally different than wounds. Scars tell a story. So you can say, yeah, this happened. And you say, what happened? And it's a story that doesn't make you, oh, I don't wanna talk about it. It's ugly, it's bleeding, I have a bandage over it. I don't wanna talk about it. Yeah. Instead it's, look what God did. Yeah. Would you believe it? They said this about me and it messed me up. It affected me for decades. And that really made me so angry that someone would say that, it hurt me. But now, I know that that's not true about me. I know that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm precious. I'm a chosen. I, the Lord loves me. Jesus thinks I am awesome. <laughs> and we get to say that confidently because he does. It is true. If you don't believe me today, do not go home until you believe me. He does think you're awesome. He loves you deeply. And I will stay till midnight. And I don't want you to go home not knowing that. That's what he says about you. It's yours for the taking, just like it's mine for the taking. So let him undo that word wound and, say, and give you a new one. Give you a new word. A new word. You see, not only do words matter to God, but words affect others. A lot like what we were just talking about, words affect others. You know the story of David and Goliath? So that's my second point. Uh, words affect others. The story of David and Goliath. Goliath, he's really mean, he's rude, he's got an attitude problem, he's prideful, and he's scary. He's probably really ugly, like, I don't know, he just seems like an ugly person. He's probably got a bad face. I think he's probably got a bad face. Because you know what, meanness in your heart comes out on your face. So, there's my beauty tip for the day. Skip the expensive creams and just have a sweet heart. Let the Lord have your heart. And Goliath was mean. And people knew he was mean because of what he said. And in 1 Samuel 17, the English versions are all so boring. It is not what they're trying to say. If you type in 1 Samuel 17 into a concordance or even like blue letter Bible online, and you look up what they're, what they're saying there, is it's actually, so what the story was, well, he would go out every day and he would say, say mean things to the Israelites. He would say mean things. He had a taunt. They just label it as a taunt. He would taunt them. 
But in the original language, what, they're, what it's saying there is his usual taunt. He had a usual, like a go-to phrase. Something that he was constantly saying, like a broken record, is what they're trying to get across in that language. There's a broken record. The dude would not stop just driving them bonkers. You know when someone just will not lay off? You're like, lay off, I get it. Stop, 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 stop. He wouldn't stop. He would wake up every day, get out there, and just hurt the people. Make them feel small and worthless. That's his usual taunt, which is what I'm going to try and get that word to say. It's the closest. His usual taunt. And it poses a question for all of us. What are we usually saying? What are you usually saying? What's your usual phrase? And then the other half of that question is, what are you saying rarely? So like it's your anniversary and you say something really nice on Instagram about your spouse. Or it's your kid's birthday and you say all these nice things on Instagram or, or to them. You, that is you, what you're saying rarely. I would venture to say that we need to switch what we're saying rarely with what we're saying usually. Because you know what forms identities? What you usually say. What you usually, what's the soundtrack? You know what's crazy? Our six-year-old, she can hear a minor chord and she'll go, ooh, that's scary. You can hear a dark soundtrack by one, and if you're a musician, you know all it is is lowering the three of that chord. All of one half step from black key to white key. It's, they're this far apart. One is scary and woo, sad. Someone crying? Is there a monster? And one is bright and hopeful and cheery. Half a step. What is your usual vernacular? And what's your rare vernacular? And I think that if we would simply have the humility and just be willing to just, just break. It's all right to to just get get small. Say, I've gotten my words backwards. I'm telling you on your birthday that I love you, but I want to tell you every day that I love you. Yes, yes. When you say to your spouse on your anniversary only, I would do it all over again. I still say I do. I'll say it tomorrow too. Right. What's the worst that could happen Like, literally, that feels so silly to even ask. What's the worst that could happen if you started saying more nice things? Like, it's actually, there's nothing bad that could happen by you saying that you love your spouse every day. I like, like, come on, church. We, in this topic, goes exactly hand in hand. We gotta talk about pride. The reason we don't want to get humble and just give love to those we need to is because, well, they hurt me. I don't want to put myself out there. They might not reciprocate it. That's okay. That's okay. We're fully loved by God. We're fully embraced by God. He's enough for us. Jesus is enough. So if you give love freely to your child, even though they're going to hurt you deeply later when they call you the worst mom ever, my kids would never do that, especially not the three in the room. They would never do that. Never have. You decide... I'm willing to get vulnerable, comfortable with vulnerability. Say, I'm going to tell you that I love you because I do. And it doesn't mean that 
we, we also say, well, I don't want to tell them that because then they're going to think that like, they don't have to keep working on that thing they need to work on. Uh -huh. No, no it, it doesn't mean that. No. It doesn't mean that. No. If you tell someone, I love you, they do not hear, oh, cool, I'm off the hook with that thing that I need to work on in my character. That is just not how it works, okay? We've got to be able to be vulnerable, which means taking a risk. And it's okay to take risks. It's so good for us. It's good to feel awkward. It's good to be stretched when we try on something new. Yes. Yes. Try it on. And understand that even if it does feel really uncomfortable for you every night at dinner, instead of just chowing down, say, family, we're going to hold hands. Touching. Yes. We're going to hold hands. We're going to hold hands. And it's okay if you giggle. It's okay. It's all right. It's awkward for all of us. But we're all going to pray. And then we're going to say one thing we love about the person next to us. Can you imagine? <laughs> Nothing bad can come from that. Right. Like, this is a challenge. If you can prove me wrong, please do. Do it. Prove me wrong. I am here for... I'm, I'm willing to say that I was wrong. Okay? But I don't think I am on this one. Your words affect others. They affect others big time. We all have word wounds. We've also got word wholenesses. But we've got to choose which ones we're going to dish out. You gotta choose, what are you gonna dish out? You have to not only start saying different things, you have to decide to start refusing some things. Wow. Yes. Things that are coming out of your mouth, it's time for you to say, no, I refuse that, I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. I refuse it. I refuse gossip. I refuse sarcasm. I refuse lying. Refuse discouragement. I refuse hate. And what if every single one of us, even if we picked just one of those words that I listed off, what would happen in your world? If we decided that I am a person and not going to gossip, what a terrible thing. What a terrible thing to talk about somebody who cannot defend themselves. Right. Gossip paints a picture of someone according to how you see them. Well, yeah. And almost always gossip uses the darkest color paintbrush to paint about that person. Yes. Yes. Wow. How unfair. Yes. We have to refuse it. Yes. Not only refuse saying it, but refuse listening to it. Someone comes to you with their paintbrush, they got their paintbrush out, you're like, oh no, I don't like paintbrushes. I'm not doing this. Nope. You get to say no thank you. Yeah. You get to opt out. Yes. And if that makes them uncomfortable, oh well. They can, they can do that too. No big deal. It's not your job to make sure everyone's comfortable. It's our job to say what is true. So that's what we're going to do. We can refuse also sarcasm. Sarcasm is tearing someone down with a smile on your face. So much. It's a humorous way of tearing someone down in the way in the name of laughter. And I'm sorry, but if I have to tear you down to be funny, I am not funny. This is this is part of our culture. And a lot of times we accidentally adopt those habits. And just because I'm talking about it and teaching about it doesn't mean I've nailed it. That's a weakness of mine, big time. But for us to say, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not funny. I, I would like to actually learn to be funny. Do that. I can do, we can learn to be funny. We don't have to tear somebody down in order to be funny. Because if you're hurting someone to be funny, you're not funny, you're mean. And, and we, we, it's, it's okay. It's okay for us to say, yep, I got that one wrong. I'm going I'm to work on that. Like, when, if, you're gonna, if we're going to gossip, and... And we use, it, we use the excuse of, well, I would say it to their face. That doesn't make it not gossip. You're saying it right now. And their face is not here. So it is gossip. 
And just because you would say it to their face doesn't mean you should say it to their face. We shouldn't say it, like, whoa, no. And if they haven't, if, if someone hasn't given you permission and access into their life, then you probably shouldn't be the one to be saying that to them anyway. You know, this is, these are funny things in our world that we've just slowly accepted more and more, and it's okay for us to say, I don't accept that anymore. I won't do that anymore. I want, I want better. And we get that. We get to do that. And instead, what are you going to do instead of gossip, lying, hate, sarcasm? Instead, we're going to encourage. You know what discouragement means? Taking the courage out of somebody. Discourage. Oh. Instead, I want to encourage you. I want to have a heaping dose of courage and I want to pour it into you. Now go get them. What if that's how we greeted everybody? Go get them, champ. Go love your neighbor today, you got this, go team. And we had these like huddles and rallies of righteousness. Ooh, that would be fun, that was a name, write that down. Righteousness rallies, where we tell everybody to go and I wanna encourage you, you're made for greatness. You're made for this. What if we said to our kids, when they said, well, I'm the only one who's not going to that party where there's alcohol. I'm the only one who doesn't have social media. What if we tell our kids, it's okay. You are strong enough to be the only one. What if an entire generation, instead of feeling like weirdos or outcasts, they were constantly told, you're strong enough to be the only one. And I think if there's anything in this world that needs attention, it's that we've got to understand, we've got to raise up an army to go and be strong against these winds that are coming after them. And I'm not going to deny the fact that, yes, there are major winds coming against our kids. Major wins, trying to change the way they think, change what they believe about identity, affect their futures. And yeah, we can say, yes, that's real, but what if we have all of our kids understanding deep into their core, I'm strong enough to be the only one. I'm strong. I can handle that. Invite me all you want. I don't drink. Invite me all you want. I don't need to post pictures of myself to be liked. It's fine. I don't care. Like, what if, what if we actually raised a group of people who were strong enough to handle the gale force winds that are coming against them. We do not need to fear. We, we, people have asked me, you really gonna have five kids in this world? What do you want me to do, kill them? <laughs> They're alive, like I, yes, yes I am, because here they are and I wanted them, and God wanted them, and I still want them. What, what would make you feel better? But guess what? Um, the world isn't raising your kids. You are. Like, I, you are raising your children. And, and I don't care how you educate them. You, I, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. You could be a homeschooler, a public schooler, a private schooler, a charter schooler. All of that matters to each individual family individually. But guess who's raising your kids? You are. So there's no reason for you to say, oh, man, we can't have kids now. People who are out there saying we shouldn't have more kids because this world. No, have the babies. Have so many babies. There's nothing to fear. There is nothing to fear. If God decides to give a life, God's enough to make sure that his sovereignty is going to continue to last for the next generation. What? Remember when, when the printing press came to be and everybody all of a sudden got a bunch of books? I mean, don't, you don't remember when? Like, you weren't there. But like, that generation was freaking out because the kids were like walking around with books and all the old people were like oh, they're just going to become of this world and they're going to fall apart and we're like please give them books back instead let's switch to books let's switch to books 
When that was the biggest concern is him reading too much. God is enough for every generation. And he is creative enough to meet the needs of our changing world and he's not gonna stop. We get to remember that and we have to say that. If we don't start saying that and instead we keep saying, oh, this is such a scary world, you're defeated. That is weak faith. Exactly what James is talking about. Say what is true and say it loudly. Say it for your children to hear. Say it for the unbeliever to hear. Say it for your boss to hear, your neighbor. Let us be a broken record about the things of God. Okay? We have to. Church, it can no longer be optional. And if I have a pastoral moment, it's this one. You must start speaking out loud the things of God. If you weren't doing it yesterday, that's okay. Do it today and do it tomorrow and do not stop and you will see mark my words you will see change in your world you absolutely will I can guarantee it see people say a picture paints a thousand words and that's cute sentiment I, I can see where that would come from but actually I would venture to say a word paints a picture pink cow What did you just think right now? You all just saw in your mind a pink cow. No doubt about it. You saw it. So your daughter walks into the room and you say out loud to her, you're a beautiful person. Guess what? You just created a picture in her head of what is beauty. I am beauty. You say to your son, you are strong and capable and I can't wait to see what God does with you. You just painted, a, you defined the word strength for your own child. Yeah. That when I close my eyes and picture strength, is when my daddy said I was strong. And if you don't have kids around that you're impacting, it's so not limited to children. Yeah. It is so not limited to children. Say it everywhere you go, to everyone you meet, and see what it does for them and the way you can redefine something in their hearts. Because this last point is a quick one, but it's important. Words affect outcomes. Can a fig tree produce olives? You can't speak fig and expect olives. It's gonna give what it's gonna give. It's gonna give what it already was determined that it was gonna give. Proverbs 18.21 says, The power of life and death is in the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We will eat our words. What food is to your body, words are to your soul. You guys ever been to Disneyland? The happiest place on earth? Unless you're Tony Nunez, then it's right there in that cage. (laughs) Happiest place on earth. And... You're thinking, oh my word, I'm gonna finally drop those three pounds that have just been hanging on because I'm walking so much. I'm getting so many miles in. Miles and miles, 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 miles. And you have your Fitbits, you're like, woo, 20,000 steps, 30,000 steps. And we're so proud, I can't wait to get home to weigh myself. And then you get on the scale and you're like, what, three pounds up? (laughs) And you're like, no, how, mm." You go back and you look, what were you doing in every single one of those hour long lines? (laughs) 
eating a churro. We were eating churros, we were eating the Dole Whip. Oh, the Dole Whip and the turkey legs and the, oh, it's so much good food. It is so much good food. And eat the food, fine, enjoy, you're on vacation. But we are what we eat. And you cannot outwalk a bad diet. I promise I am not talking about our weight. I'm, I promise there's a correlation here. You can't go to the gym for 30 minutes a day and then eat Big Macs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and expect to be in better shape. The same way, you cannot come here for one hour per week and, and out-spiritualize a bad diet. Your words and what you're doing with your days, what you're speaking, the words you're taking in. These are words, church. These words must be spoken to your own soul. Not only the words that you're speaking, but you, what you put in is what will come out. You want a better guarantee? You want better odds that good things are going to come out? you got to start putting better things in. Devour this. Devour this. Feast on it. Meditate on it. And may God give us all an insatiability for his word. In Jesus' name. We have to understand that if we don't have a diet that supports the workout, it won't work out. And no, I'm not saying don't worry about coming here. You got to make sure this is a priority in your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gathering on a Sunday is key and crucial to your faith. But what we have to learn is if we want this wisdom from above, Wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You want to know how to get wisdom? This same book that just told us what wisdom is, it says that if you really want wisdom, you'll have the fear of the Lord. And how to get the fear of the Lord is through His Word. And I can give you those scripture references. One thing always leads to the other. You want wisdom? You've got to fear God. You want to fear God? Read his word. And see what happens when you begin to switch your diet from the words of this world coming through on a four-inch screen, inundating your mind and your thoughts constantly. That's going to come out. Or instead, have these words inundating your thoughts and your words and overwhelming you with how incredibly beautiful it is that it would make everything else pale in comparison especially in a day and age that we live now. You can wake up in the morning, roll over and push play on your audio Bible. And it can read to you while you're in bed. Imagine that. Tell the, tell the Christian forefathers that. They'll be like, sorry? What? You get to do what? We had to walk for days to get to the... This is unfair. And you still got excuses? I think they'd be pretty ruffled up. They'd be kind of mad about it. But uh, we get to. We get to be inundated with the things of God. So church, ask him for a hunger. Ask him for a thirst. Ask him for a desire. And when we tell God, I want more of you, you think he's going to deny that? You know what he says? If a son asks for a piece of bread, what kind of dad's going to give him a rock? You want to be more hungry for God? 
He's going to give you that hunger. And not only will he give you the hunger, he's going to satisfy it. So church, would you stand? And as we close today, we're going to have three ways that I want you to respond. Is You can go to the prayer corner. And if you want someone to pray for you or with you about anything at all, we've got a team who is so happy to do that. And I want us also to take communion. When we get to reflect, we were talking about how wonderful it is to have the gift of repentance. That happens because of the broken body of Jesus and his blood poured out for our sins. So we need to do it in remembrance of him. I want us to take communion. I want you to go get prayer, if prayer is what you need this morning. And I want us all, no matter where we stand on how we want to respond today, I want us to sing this song together. And this song is saying a big, powerful declaration. I'm going to build my life on the things of God. I don't want anything else but you, Lord. And then in this song, there's an ask. God, I want to have your heart for those around me. And we can show them his heart by the words that we say to them and about them and to each other. So God, we are so grateful. We're blown away with gratitude for your ways, for your truths, for who you are, and for your word that is alive and active. And God, we're so thankful that you're after our hearts. We're so thankful that when we ask you for a hunger and a thirst of your things, you say yes. God, we're so thankful that we have been forgiven, that we have nothing to fear, that we can stand boldly and confidently before you, knowing that the pardon has been completely given, and that we get to say, I am the righteousness of God the Father because of you, Jesus. Teach us your ways. We want to know you. We want to be like you. And we cannot do it if it is not by your spirit. And we thank you for this. We ask that you would receive our worship now as we close today. Receive this worship as a sweet offering to you. In Jesus' name. Thank you once again for joining us today. We hope today's message encouraged you, challenged you, and caused your faith to grow. If you enjoyed today's message, we highly encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. That way you don't miss out on any future messages. To get to know us, to get connected with us, and to know how you can best partner with us, head to our website, LegacyChurchID.com, or come see us in person at our campus in Meridian, Idaho. We look forward to connecting with you. May God bless you and have a great rest of your day.